HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Thurman Maple Days. Celebrate flowing of sap in the Adirondacks, self-guiding to seven sites for talks, tours, tastes, and old-fashioned friendliness. For more information, visit ThurmanMapleDays.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday. This time a little late, well, you know, whatever, but noonish to like... Late? This is your normal time. Well, but I feel like it's late because we have a guest today. That's true. On the Heritage Radio Network, uh, uh, broadcasting from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Joined, as usual, with Nastasia, the Hammer Lopez. How you doing, Stas? Good. We got Jackie Molecules in the booth. How you doing? I'm um, great. Just got back from Charleston. Oh, yeah? How was it? It was good. Yeah. Yeah, I, get, I, I, I got there early and drove through the low country to all those weird little islands. Uh, well, let's talk about that in a second. We have special guest in the studio, uh, the maestro of the Food Lab, which sold uh, how many billion copies did you sell that, Kenji? <laughs> Not quite a billion yet, but we're, we're working on it. Yeah. Working on it Kenji yeah. Lopez, all billion, billion selling book. New York Times bestseller, though, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, for a little while. Yeah, yeah. nice. Nice. Yeah, I think it was something like a, a billion. In fact, uh, we share a publisher and, uh, and an editor. Oh, that's what I meant. Yeah, an editor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't even. I, I think of her as like the whole, the kind of right, edifice, right. <laughs> Maria Gornishelli, you know, uh, world-renowned uh, editor. Anyway, so like your, the success of your book actually got her off my back for a while because she's <laughs> not wasn't for a while worried about my second book because of the enormous success. Do you, you uh, have a second book coming? Or? Uh, well, yeah, yes. Cocktails also? No, no, not no cocktails. No cocktails. No recipes. I think. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, like food rants, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Adult coloring books? Yeah. Uh, adult coloring books. Uh, I'd have to have Nastasia do them and then steal her ideas because Nastasia is the Nastasia is the line drawing queen. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I could get my wife to do it, but that would be weird. It would be easier. Like, we could just come out with a book together and I could just say, do this, and Nastasia would do the line drawings. One of the, very, one of the lesser known Nastasia Lopez skills. Yeah, I never would have guessed that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Nastasia is a, uh, is a inveterate... Uh, doodler and you like working in pen right yeah i do like not pencil pen 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 she's a pen worker likes pens um although you don't like fancy pens you don't give a rat's ass about fancy rats behind rather family show (laughs) about you're like you know any old any old bic any old bic will do uh so jack so now that we've uh, now that we're all here so tell us about the islands you went to uh which islands did you go Uh, to edisto island and saint helena island 
Yeah? Yeah. Is that where like all the, the Gullah stuff's happening? Uh-huh. Yeah. Do I got get... some Frogmore stew. Yeah? What's in Frogmore stew? It's like uh, just shrimp uh, that you have to peel yourself and like uh, boiled potatoes and corn, that kind of thing. Uh, presumably it doesn't taste like uh, the Cape Cod version of that, though. Uh, no. It did. Well, you know, I can't say that I've ever really spent much time in Cape Cod. What? Yeah. Don't no, you live in the Northeast? I know. It's weird, right? What's your Cape Cod equivalent? What's your East? Co- what's your Northeast beach mentality? Based well, like around? I'm from Long Island, you know. All so. right, so it's the same crap. I guess so. <laughs> it's all the same crap. We're, yeah. we're on Long Island. I'm from a place called West Babylon, so it's like a South Shore border of Nassau, Suffolk, kind of right mm-hmm. in the middle. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're you're not really a beach thing. thing. But you drive out to Montauk, yeah, and hang out with Billy Joel. Or wow! Oh yeah, that, you know I've never been to Montauk. I really don't like Billy Montauk's Joel. Nice. Actually, you don't like whoa, 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 what? I'm sorry. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stas, you hear that? I heard that. I'm sorry, Stas. Yeah, Stas, huge Billy Joel fan. Yeah, I actually uh, like how well, Stas you... from the West Coast, so it's like yeah. But how can you come from Long Island and not like Billy Joel? It doesn't make any freaking sense. Because I always hated Long Island, even when I was a kid. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, so I came like... from I came from Jersey. You know, back in the day, that's where I went to elementary school. I still like Bon Jovi and Bruce Springsteen. And, I was going to say, and Bruce, yeah? Yeah. Well, I didn't like Bon Jovi at the time, but with age comes perspective uh, on how kind of perfect uh, Slippery When Wet is like almost like, you know, Moses came down and was like, Slippery When Wet. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's wow. like, when you think about the perfection, of like the, it's like, you know, the childhood fans. It's, it's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't like it at the time. I'm more of a Springsteen fan than Joe Bon Jovi, actually. Yeah. Are you from Jersey? Uh, no, I'm from New York. Oh. Well, yeah. yeah. So you get to look down on us folk yeah. who live in... <laughs> where in New York originally? Um, I, I grew up in Harlem. Oh, yeah. Real New York. Yeah, so you were one of those city kids that I hated. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now now my kids are those city kids. But I think, I think I've said this before. I think it's, uh, it's a lot different now because you can be cool and like live in the suburbs now because of the internet. Right, right. You where, can be cool anywhere these days. Yeah, whereas back in the day, you know, we felt like losers. Like us suburban kids, we felt like losers. What about you and Covina, Stas? Loser. Loser. Although the, the internet was around when? When you were in high school it happened? Too late, though, for you. Senior year, yeah. Yeah. The internet didn't happen until basically I was done with college. I got I got email when I was in high school, but it, it was like internal email in the school. I literally remember when like I saw the first email I'd ever seen. And by the way, you know the guy that invented email just died like two days ago. Really? Yeah, I forget his name. He died like he was like seventy four. He died like two two days ago, and uh, you know he popularized the at symbol, the whole thing, mm-hmm. like invented email. I remember in like way before anyone had or cared about email when there was like you know like a hundred people with email addresses. I was a junior in high school. This is in like eighty seven, eighty eight, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, this guy was like, "I have this thing called Email Watch," and he like <laughs> typed an email. And I was like, this is worthless. I was like, Who, who's ever going to use this crap? This is garbage. Nonsense. Man. Did he send it to you from his Apple Newton? Uh, no, that was early 90s, right? We had, we had, had the 2E. We had 2E. Okay. We, he, it was an Apple 2E, which, of course, you know, I coveted because of the green screen right, was so much right. better than my Radio Shack TRS-80 computer. And uh, But I just remember thinking, this is not, not going to go anywhere. No, no. This is worthless. It's like watching TV on the internet. Yeah, I forget that dude's name, but I hope he's a billionaire. So you know what I'm I, saying? Yes. Yeah. Anyway, he deserves it. You know, being an early adopter of something like email... You should win something for that. Yeah, you, you probably get a cooler email address. Yeah, he he's prob- John O one instead of John three hundred eighty seven. Yeah, well, this is you know obviously this is way pre 
there was no www at that time. Literally, you had to like know exactly where someone was and send them <laughs> an email. You know what I mean? Uh, dumb. Okay. Um, so you have anything you want to plug about the book? Anything specific you want to talk about? Anything? No. I mean, I don't know. Buy it if you want to. Don't if you don't. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Call in your questions to Kenji at 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. All right. So let's, uh, let's hit some stuff that we uh, have here. I'll Can t- I actually like jump the line? Because I have something that I'm, I'm interested in hearing both of you talk about. All right. Is that cool? Sure. So there's all these articles about um, bay leaves. Mm-hmm. Lately, that I've been reading, and um, kind of like challenging the notion that they actually do anything right in a big, you know, stat. What do you uh, mean? They taste like bay. Yeah. Have you seen this, Kenji? You've, have you seen these uh, arguments? I, 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 I have had people ask me. I, I actually wrote a. I wrote an article like a couple years ago called "What's." It was. It was a question I got from a, from a reader, and the question was, "What's the point of bay leaves?" Because they um, taste like bay. They do. Yeah, you can taste it, and 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 of course, like depending on where you get your bay leaves, whether it's like a, a Turkish bay leaf, which is what generally what you generally find dried, versus like a California bay leaf, which you find fresh. Like they have different flavors, but they yeah they they definitely add flavor to dishes. You can you can tell the difference side by side. If you taste. They are merely the most popular of the aromatic leaves, which almost all of the all of this style of aromatic tree leaf come from the um, the laurel family, mm-hmm. right? So you have aromatic avocado leaves, where some aren't, which I believe are the same family as bay. Are they? I think I don't know that they're all in the same family, but I know Laureaceae has. I'm pretty sure I, I got to go look it up because mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting to talk about it. But like, <laughs> there's a lot of aromatic leaves in that in that kind of family. I don't know whether like sassafras and spicebush are in the same general family, but like a lot of those, uh, you know, that family has these kind of aromatic leaves, and uh, of course they make a difference. Now, the crappier the leaf is, let me give you an example. I have some crappy, you know, spice spice class. That's a brand of spice right, right here. Spice class. Uh, so I have like crappy spice ba- uh, class bay leaves, and so I have to use like four or five times as many of those to get the same flavor. To get the same yeah. flavor, and they're a pain. So I tend to tie them up by the by the you know by the, the stem. Stu- yeah. And then throw them in uh, in like larger quantities. But uh, perhaps you've heard of the spice jack Old Bay, which is yes. like, <laughs> like has like a huge hit of ground up bay in it. Bay is a sp- to be clear. I can taste when bay leaves are used. I'm saying that there were a lot of articles posted. A lot of my by friends whom? were sharing. It was on the owl. But who wrote oh, yeah. it? What's the owl? Yeah, yeah, well. <laughs> was, it, was it some, like, angry internet person just trying to make angry internet things, It was, like, or? part humor, but also Who's part the serious. <laughs> it's a blog. You know, you know the, the one, one thing about bay leaves, though, um, and, is that, and this is different from most other herbs, is that, um, you know, the, well, similarly to most other herbs, there is a big difference between dried and fresh, but, uh, but the difference in bay leaves is that the dried versions are almost always the Turkish bay leaves, and the fresh versions are almost always California bay leaves, and they have a very different flavor. Like, the, the California bay leaves have a much stronger sort of eucalyptus. It's not the same plant, right? Uh, yeah, it's not even the same plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're both sold as bay leaves. So a lot of people will say, "Oh, the fresh bay leaves are always better than the dry," but but that's not always the case because it adds a flavor that's quite different from a standard bay flavor. So I, I almost always use dry dry bay leaves that I store in the freezer. Well, fre- you know, this is a huge misconception people have about everything in the world that fresh is better than uh, than, than dry. Not. Yeah, it's yeah. like it, they're almost always different, and so anything that is sometimes something is different and worse. Yeah. Sometimes it's just different. Sometimes it's just different. Like ginger. Like fresh ginger versus dried ginger. Different. Totally different. Dried basil, bad. Dried basil, bad. Dried parsley. Dried chives, not good. I haven't tried really dried chives. Freeze-dried chives I've had. Mm. You you know what? uh, I'm talking if you go and buy a bottle of uh, Spice Class. Oh, Spice Class. (laughs) You know, I got in big trouble with... uh, 
with my wife because – did I talk about this? Maybe. Because, uh, you know, I, I've been saying we've been doing the 70s-style uh, potato bars recently, you know, where you just make a big-ass, big, big potato. And oh, right, 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 yeah. It's like taco it's, night. Yeah, it's like taco night, but it's like big potato night because I'm like, you know, whatever. We're bringing it back. And um, so my wife was cutting up the chives, and she did like the ultimate chive – like horror show of chopping them long. I, I, I kind of like that sometimes, like in a soup or something. But they have like that, no flavor when you chop them long. The chive flavor, yeah, but then they stick them? in your teeth. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a. But you know what? You shouldn't do. You shouldn't like. You shouldn't look at the chives that your wife has chopped and be like, "What the hell? Are you <laughs> these chives? Why?" Look, on a baked potato... It's better than crushing them, at least. Yeah, with the I guess donut. Yeah. That, that was the, the, the first, like, fancy restaurant job I had um, on my first day in, on my first day of service. I, I was chopping chives for the line, and I had no idea what I was doing then. And, and the chef... Um, so Barbara Lynch is at Number 9 Park. The, the chef, like, she walked by my station while I was chopping the, the chives. And without even looking at me, like, just hearing the sound the chives were making as I was chopping them, she's like, you're doing those wrong. Throw them out, because she could hear the kind of like, crushing... <laughs> yeah, the crushing noise, the crushing <laughs> noise, yeah. Because I was yeah. crushing them instead of slicing them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like I like thin, small discs, like th- like two little tiny. You want them to be sliced thinner than they are wide. That's the best. Yeah. Like, although they're a pain to dose out like that because they tend to stick and clump if you do it ahead. But that's life, big city. Yeah. Especially if you crush it. If you slice if you it, crush, yeah. If, if your knife is sharp and you slice well, then they they stay nice and separate. I think. Now let me ask you this: So chives, would you ever use? That's ah, not true. So obviously, like, the application for blended chives is ranch dressing, right? So ranch dressing, dill chives, sure, yeah. other stuff. But in general, is chive ever – they're expensive. So is it worthwhile to ever – would you ever blend it or would you use a different allium for that? I, I wouldn't – I mean, you know, I've seen, like, chive oil, right? And, uh, and you blend chives there, but um, – I never make it, though. Do you ever no, make that stuff? No. I mean, I did – It's there for color. Like, I did in, like – yeah, like the early 2000s in restaurants, chive oil, color on the soup. But, yeah, but yeah. could you cheat on the chive oil and really use a different allium and scallion tops? Probably. But, sc- I mean, scallions taste a little different, don't they? In the oil? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they don't. I think it's just one of those things that people used to do. Maybe maybe chives are a myth. Maybe <laughs> maybe there's no point in chives. No, chives, they're good. Yeah. I like chives. <laughs> Stas, you a chive fan? Yeah. Yeah, Stas likes the chive. Yeah. But anyway, this thing about Bay, who's the owl? Who's this blogger? Who's we, the owl? Do we know them? <laughs> no, we don't. We don't know them. Um, let's see. Let, can we call the this name? This is like saying Kelly Kelly Conaboy. This is like saying, oh, we have, you know, wine flavor. You're like, yeah, yeah, wine <laughs> has a flavor. What are you talking about? Bay leaf. Mm-hmm. Like, did this person have like a negative experience with Bailey's? Do they think it's a scam? Are these like the kind of people that don't like modern art because they think the wool is being pulled over their eyes? It, it, could, it could be someone who has your spice class bay leaves who use one one bay leaf in a soup and don't notice it because it's a shitty bay leaf. That's right. true. I think that's a the bad issue. Bay leaf. Bad bay leaf. I do think that's the issue. Yeah, then fine. Use the answer is use more. The good thing about bay is that um, yeah, most recipes tell you to use a bay leaf or two, and that won't really do much with most of the bay leaves, the low quality bay leaves that, that people have. So I invariably triple the amount that the recipe calls for and bay leaf is not the kind of thing that rides unless you go way over it doesn't really ride over the top um but like you can't like i i never make a stock without bay 
I, I very rarely make like a super stew or anything like that without bay in it. Yeah. yeah. Rarely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's good. And like the whole point of it is it's an integrative spice. So it's not supposed to, it's not like Nastasia's least favorite cumin, which is like supposed to hit you on the head. You know what I mean? Right. It boosts, boosts other flavors yeah. pretty well. Stas, why don't you like cumin? I don't know. We've gone through it before. I don't want to. I know, I know. I know. There was a comment in the chat room. Uh, they said, how about getting Kenji to talk about his vegan month just for Nastasia's benefit? <laughs> All right. But before we do that, Jack, uh, we had, I had a comment in on the, on the Twitter from a geek girl with a number, which I forget the number. Okay. Anyway, she wants to know how to get on the chat rooms because apparently we're not making it like, clear how to get onto the chat rooms. Oh, it's clear how to get in the chat rooms. Well, tell her how to get on the freaking chat rooms. I think this person emailed us and then said they could figure it out. So you go to the website, you right. click play, okay. and it's going to pop up with a player. And then, you have uh, to play the chats? They're like a recording? Well, no, you have to pull up the live stream first. Oh. And then uh, you know you just click on the Heritage Radio logo right there, and it pulls up the chat room. There you go. You can also go to Mixler.com slash Heritage-Radio-Network if uh, you want to go manual with it there. Mixler. Mixler. That's the, yeah. That's so- the, sounds like, the, sounds like, a, like a Flintstones character. <laughs> kind of does. I have a caller if you want to take the call. All right, caller, you're on the air. Hi, Dave and Kenji. It's uh, Alex from Santa Barbara. How's it going? How and I was wondering, um, several debates for me about the liquid smoke brine versus actually smoking, because it's been coming up a lot that you can get pretty close to there with liquid smoke and a little bit of nitrate in your brine mm-hmm. for, let's say, 48 hours, and then you low temp out for 36 on, let's say, you know, a brisket. Mm-hmm. And it's basically the same. And... I don't believe it, but I've never done a side-by-side. And I want you guys to explain the math to me. But who said it was the same? Uh, like chef steps and, or close enough to be the same. Yeah. And I've, so my friends I've said similar it. things. Not um, I, I, I said similar things in a sous vide um, pork uh, rib recipe I wrote uh, a couple months ago. Um, it's, I mean, it's not exactly the same. And it's, it's not exactly the same in the same way that like anything you cook sous vide is not going to be exactly the same as something you cook via another method, right? Like sous vide brisket is sous vide brisket it doesn't it's not exactly the same as barbecue brisket not at all the same yeah but that doesn't mean i don't think that means better or worse but as far as the smoke flavor goes um i mean you can you can get smoke flavor from a liquid smoke brine um that that will i mean that will make people think that it was smoked well, I mean, uh, you don't it, get it like is. you don't get like bark development, things, right? Like things like that, but but it is it is it is literally the same stuff that that is getting deposited on your meat while you're smoking it, um, right. minus some stuff, minus some stuff, and, right. us- and, and usually that you'll was get my question right there. Yeah, where it's like, what what's the minus stuff that we're missing? Because I could taste the difference. I mean, I know you're going to get different products depending on how you cook it, but just the flavor of the smoke. They get they get rid of a, a lot of the theoretically cancer causing like polycyclic hydrocarbon stuff, uh, right? Isn't that like I think they, so? Yeah. And then they they also, you know, the, the issue is usually you're in an oil phase or a water phase because most they're not so like presumably some is gonna like some smoke compounds like would would gravitate towards the oil phase versus the water, so you're probably only getting the water phase stuff. Right. Stuff but but when you're but when you're when you're smoking in a smoker, you're mostly getting only water phase stuff anyway because the the smoke is being transported by the moist air, right? Well, there's but there's not. this actual particulate matter as well. Right, right, right. There's some. Yeah. You know, and so, like, like you know, I, I noticed, like, uh, you know, when the chefs used to use a smoking gun. Do they use that anymore? I think some people do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You would notice that, like, the particulate matter would settle out after a couple of minutes, but mm. the smoke aroma would stay in the, in the thing because there is, like, a heavy kind of a particulate thing. But, I mean, the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that smoking does a number of things besides imparting flavor. 
right? Mm-hmm. So you're being exposed to a particular uh, a particular atmosphere. You're being exposed to a particular temperature at a particular humidity. And so, you know, like Kenji was saying, like you get the, the bark. So different things happen from a textural standpoint that are a lot of times difficult to um, – Separate from uh, from just the flavor from just the flavor, the flavor element, yeah. and especially especially with things like crust development, it's virtually impossible to separate the like uh, the textural difference uh, and the the cooking difference from the flavor. It's just not not possible. Right, really. right. Then the other thing to be aware of is that liquid smoke is produced at a very specific temperature for a very specific thing. So you smoking something for real might be different if your temperatures are high or lower. You're using different – you're going to generate different kinds of compounds because pyrolysis, very, very complicated stuff is happening. Um, the other thing is that I find that like uh, smoke applications, more maybe with powder than with the liquids, it's super easy to overdose on it and it goes like bitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and people, I think people do often overdose on smoke, but I think people often also overdose on smoke when they're, when they're actually smoking things too. Right. Because uh, um, I, I always think, I mean, the smoke should be, should be seasoning like, like, like cumin or, or bay leaf or whatever. You know, it, it should be seasoning. It shouldn't be the only thing you taste in there. Um, but but I, will, I will tell you that, you know, in, in, in the testing I've done for, for, you know, getting smoke flavor into meat through methods that aren't smoking, that brining in a, in a, in a brine with liquid smoke, I think, is, is the most effective way to keep it subtle um, and to get good penetration without, you know, it, it's, it's very different to do that than to say, like, add liquid smoke straight to, like, a barbecue sauce, which you just paint on the surface. Um, right. Bri- like, brining it overnight in a, in, a, in, a, in a brine with liquid smoke gets you a much more sort of natural tasting smoke penetration. I'm going to get my behind kicked. I don't really like barbecue sauce. Well, what kind like Kansas City? Like sweet, I don't know. I just don't. I don't like goopy. Yeah, I don't like goopy. Yeah, I'm. I'm more of like a like a um, you know vine- like a vinegar sauce. Yeah, vinegar yeah. Sauce. I don't even consider like I know that they do. But I, I consider that like red pepper and vinegar. Like I don't consider yeah, that red pepper like and vinegar a little sh- a little sugar maybe. But yeah, I don't, I don't consider that like bit. when someone says barbecue sauce. You're thinking Kansas City style ketchup and molasses. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of that. I like it on French fries. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's okay as, like, you know, kind of a, a, a secondary ketchup. Yeah. But I just not... I'm with you on that, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People love it. I'm going to get my... I'm, like, I'm, I'm happy that you like it, whoever you are that likes it. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm not against it in theory. It's just not my... It's not my cup of tea on, on, yeah. on meat. I have another caller. Sure. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, yeah, Dave. Uh- Dan, Seattle. A uh, couple of pressure canner questions. Okay. Uh, so, so first of all, I got a very a big new all aluminum uh, uh, pressure canner for Christmas. Made by American Canner Corp. Yep. Yep. Um, so my my first question is: Can I make the stock in it before I put it in jars? I mean, is, does the bare aluminum really matter much for, for stock? Well, it depends on what you believe. <laughs> like if you, if if you believe that aluminum is bad to cook in, then it matters. If you don't, as I don't, then uh, you know it won't bother you. Fla- I mean, flavor-wise, I don't think you're going to taste aluminum in your in not there. in the stock. Yeah, not in the stock. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not talking about anything with a ton of lemon juice or vinegar or whatever. Yeah. I mean, the the hard part about uh, even like small amounts of like. Uh, you know, in some classic stocks, it'll be like a couple tomatoes, but does it, it's not going to do anything. You know what I mean? But the, the, um, I wouldn't use. I guess you can't fit it in the dishwasher anyway because it's so big. I was going to say like, like where you don't want to do on that is like, uh, 
harsh detergents on it because it's I believe it's cast and so it'll get porous and pitted after a while at the bottom and I cook yeah, they, no, no, they specifically well, say not to do that. And like you said, it wouldn't, fit, it wouldn't fit anyway. I mean, it's, it's a monstrously huge thing. Yeah. I mean, um, the, the, the hard part about the pressure canners, uh, if you're using them to do anything other than straight canning, is that they are a huge ship to steer. So, uh, you know, on a level of difficulty of getting the right heat input, I'd say it's like twice as difficult as like with a regular pressure cooker to get the the heat input correct. Just because of its volume, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Just because it's so hard to read the right, right, right. The slope, right? You know, whereas like a, a normal pressure cooker responds within a minute or two. Like this guy could have like you know four or five minutes of ride right. up and down. Right. So it takes a while to kind of dial it in. So like <clears throat> what I would do is the first couple times you use it, I would uh, kind of keep track of where your settings are based on how much you have in it because that's pretty much you know assuming that you use relatively constant loads yeah also that thing's a pain you ever use one of those things kenji Mm-mm. they're a pain to close all of those screws i mean look oh yeah i've seen those nothing yeah. else can do what they can do they're huge volume right you know pressure cooker canners but do you have the regular canner lid or do you have the sterilization lid for it uh, uh, the what, what? Do you have the regular canning lid for it or the sterilization lid with the tube? Uh, the regular. Yeah, yeah. The sterilization lid is, a, is a, it's creepy. It's a, How does that work? So they're re- if you're going to use it as a sterilizer, which I guess some people do in places uh, I don't know where who don't have right. any sterilizers, they, uh, they're they worried that there'll be pockets um, of gas in it that that will cause it to not go through the sterilization procedure at the same way. So they have a they have a tube that extends down that you have to like vent out the tube to get rid of uh, entrained non-steam gases huh. before you crank the stuff. But... Remember what a nightmare that was, Stas? Yep. And we crushed the tube, and we were yelling at each other and screaming, and <laughs> nightmare, nightmare. I, I use like pretty much exclusively electric pressure cookers now. Really? Yeah. You know, which I, one? Uh, I, right now, I have, I'm using the Breville Pro, which um, which has like full manual. You can, I mean, it only goes up to 12 psi, which most electric cookers do, but you can get anywhere from anywhere from 1.5 to 12 at half psi in, increments. Um, can and, you and hack it, it like the Cuisinart? I don't know. I haven't tried. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, but it also has like uh, like automatic altitude adjustment and like an automatic pressure release and stuff, which is pretty nice. Automatic altitude adjustment. So it'll go. So yeah, that that's that's not worth it. I was gonna say you could put it into another container, jack it like to three psi, and then hit go. But that's not, right. it's not <laughs> worth it. It's not worth it. Um, but. So it's it's actually working on pressure, not on temperature. Uh, it has it, so it has it has a pressure gauge, and it also has two temperature gauges. Like it has a temperature probe at the bottom and at the end at the top. But the pressure gauge is a release, or the pressure gauge is a measurement. Um, I'm I'm not sure actually. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know. I should, I should, I should ask him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm not so, sure how the altitude uh, bit second works. Second, much more specific question. Okay. I want to make Cuchinita Pabil in a canning jar. Can I just put the banana leaf and the pork, I mean, whatever, like, the toughest piece of pork I can get and the achiote in there? And is there some overwhelmingly obvious reason that wouldn't work? Huh. I don't know. What, what do you think, Kenji? I, I think it would work. I mean... What happens to I've, banana I've leaves ch- in a pressure cooker? They probably break down. I don't know. I've never tried that specifically, but I've but I've stuck, um, I mean, I've stuck meats and, and like, onions and things. Like, you can make, like, 
you know, you caramelize onions inside sealed right. jars in a pressure canner. Right, but they obviously, the onions obviously lose a lot of their onion potency. They get a lot more neutral and a lot sweeter in a pressure cooker right. than they would in any sort of other normal cook. Sure, yeah. Um, but, or like, you know, if you were going to do like acid canning where it's just a boil out versus pressure. But I don't, in other words, I don't know whether banana leaves are going to have a different flavor extraction or anything around the, because, you know, there's that layer around the banana leaf that mm-hmm. has that particular flavor. Banana leafy flavor. Yeah, yeah, which I like. But I don't know what happens at pressure cooker. I don't know. I know, I know how you can find out. <laughs> yeah, do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, but uh, there's, there's nothing on the surface of it that seems to think that it won't work. All right, well, I'll, I'll just give that a shot next time I get around to it. I wound up with way too many banana leaves the last time I made I, I, I made this regularly. Mm. All right, I, yeah. I, I need to get them out of my freezer. All right, well, let us know what happens. Cool. Thanks, sir. Thanks. I got a question from the chat room if you want to take it. Yeah, this sure. is okay, go. Yeah. To Kenji or Dave, can you ramenize fresh pasta? Also, instead of doing the baking soda technique, can I just use kensui? I don't know if that's yes. how you pronounce yeah. it. Yes and yes. Okay, there you go. But uh, I don't know that you'd want... I mean, it depends on what you... Like, why you're doing it. He said he used the modernist cuisine recipe for ramen and broke a pasta machine. Because <laughs> uh, it was too dry or... I don't know. Oh, whoa, whoa, wait. So specifically, the question is, is, is it going to go through his pasta machine? I guess so. Can you ramenize fresh pasta? Oh. Yes. You, yes. I mean, obviously, this is yeah, how they make so ramen. Is, yeah, so is, yes, is, he asking, is he asking, can you take, like, can you make fresh Italian-style pasta and cook it in, in, in baking soda water, and will it taste like pasta? No, ramen, I think he's thinking, can, can you do yellow, yellow alkaline noodles? Through in, a regular pasta machine. I mean, I would assume you can. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. But, the, but the, the question is, is like, if you're going to make an Italian shape, I mean, like, look, fundamentally, yellow alkaline noodles are is like a fairly normal pasta dough with consui in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So typically, like, typically a little bit drier than a, like an Italian style dough, but yeah, but so I mean, harder to push through a pasta machine. But I don't. Right. But you could up the water. You could still get the yellow, some of the bounce and mm. the the consui flavor. But it'll taste like that. So you're basically just making ramen in a different shape. Yeah, there, there's um, you know like Yuji Yuji Ramen. He does he does like a bunch of different pasta shapes with ramen dough. So he makes like ramen ramen flavored orchette and stuff like that. Right. The key thing, the real baller move, is to do forget forget making uh, freaking noodles. Make a lasagna so that it retains its texture when it's being cooked. I mean, that's the baller thing to do. And then slice it afterwards or just... Yeah, but like, in other words, instead of using like Italian-style pasta for... Uh, although, you know, who makes... You don't really want to use fresh for lasagna anyway, unless it's a very specific thing. Not... not but you no, would want like a dried ramenized, but not like fried and pre-cooked ramenized, unless you're going to do the thing. But like, what's an application for pasta where you really want that... The texture, the bounce, right? Where ramen. pasta tends to disintegrate. Ramen. But that be, that's the reason to ramenize something. Yeah. For ramen. Chicken, yeah. chicken noodle soup that you're going to put in a can. Yeah. He specifies, he says, when I'm ask, what I'm asking is to make fresh Italian noodles, then ramenize. So cook, oh. so cook, cook so you, you, you mean using that hack where you cook it in water, like with baking soda or kansui, and it gets a little bit of that ramen, like that ramen flavor. You can get the That's f- what it's flavor. I don't think you're going to get the texture. Well, with dry pasta, you do get, you do get. The texture is different really? significantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I've never tried it with fresh pasta, but I don't see why it wouldn't work with fresh pasta. Well, let me put it to you this way. I would bet it would be more likely to work if you did the pre-soak and then bring up from cold than if you did it. Because once the protein's cooked, 
it's cooked. Yeah, I mean, maybe yeah, maybe with fresh pasta, the problem would be that it doesn't spend enough time in there because it cooks so quickly. And, and it's not absorbing much of the liquid, right? So how much, like, how close to ramen do you get if you're boiling it in water with... Uh... If, if you do, like, a thin pasta, like uh, like spaghetti or capellini or something, and, and cook it in water with baking soda, like, it, it gets it gets pretty close. Um, yeah? Yeah. In flavor yeah. or in texture? Both. Both. Really? Yeah, yeah. You it's actually, favorite? it's a good trick for, if, if you're making, like, if you want to make, like, a pasta salad that where the pasta doesn't get mushy, you know, because pasta... When, when, when you make, I mean, I don't know why people make pasta salad anyway, but if Ooh, you make you pasta, like pasta salad, salad huh? I don't love salad it. Hater. Mm, but, uh, yeah. but it gets, it gets mushy as it sits in the dressing. Um, if you cook it in like, um, alkalized water, is that the right word? Al- whatever. Alkalized. Alkalized water. Yeah. Um, it, the, the pasta stays a lot bouncier even after you, after you cool it and dress it. Let me tell you something about angel hair and all those small pastas. They're supposed to be creamy. They're supposed to be creamy. Yeah, but if you want them, if you want them to be ramen, then you can't get ramen where you are. So when, when do I like those things dry? I guess there are anchovy sauces for Christmas Eve where I like those pastas dryish. Mm-hmm. How do you mm-hmm. like? How do you like your very fine pasta? Sauce? I don't like fine pasta. Yeah, for, for real? real. Me neither. Why? Because it's bad. <laughs> this is what I hate about people. It's not bad. It's just different. It's not your al dente stuff. It's just right. a different product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God damn. I mean, gosh darn. Yeah, I also know a good way to find out if you can do this. By the way, uh, yes, the, the the good old test it and see what happens. Uh, caller wait. on the line. Oh, caller, you're on the air. Hey, this is a scooter in Montana. Tenji, you may have just answered a question I asked a couple weeks ago about okay. uh, canning noodles. Um, so uh, I called and asked about getting noodles that are like those, you know, the, the canned chicken noodles. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you think if you add some alkaline? To your homemade noodles and put them in the can that they'll hold together. Uh, yeah, I, I think well, hold together better. Um, but I, I would I, I would cook the noodles separately in in uh, alkalized water and then add them to the soup before you can it. But I, I wouldn't like okay. I wouldn't add I wouldn't add baking soda to your chicken noodle soup. Um, but I would cook the noodles right. separately. Yeah. Or if you're, or, or if you're awesome. making or if you're well, making so if you're making homemade noodles, yeah, you can you could add kansui or baking soda or something to them. Right. Yeah. Sweet. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Cool. So now, uh, Jack, what was the other question you had off of the... Uh, so I've the- got two chat room requests. Right. I'm going to let you choose your own adventure here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they either want a conversation on Vegan Month, okay. comparing Vegan Month notes, or revisiting the conversation about weighing cocktail ingredients. Oh, okay. Well... <laughs> could do either of those. <laughs> well, here, hit it on the Vegan Month. Let's talk, talk about Vegan Month. Okay, wait. Comparing notes as in... what? Uh, I've only ever done, I done... I did raw vegan for a week. I, oh, raw I, vegan. Okay. I know, but you did... You did What do you do? Vegan I do it every year. Every, every year for a month. Are uh, you in the middle of that month right I'm now? I'm in the middle of it right now, yeah. So, okay, what's up with that? Um, well, okay. So, I, I started it, you know, mainly... Well, I've always been interested in vegan. Like, as far as diets go, it's one of the ones that makes sense to me, just sort of from a... Ethical and environmental standpoint, um, it, it's made sense to me. Um, uh, and so I, you know, may, but the first time I did it, I was I was sort of skeptical, and I did it mainly because I wanted to challenge myself and see what would happen. And and then it turned out that I actually had a really great month because it made me, you know, made me think about recipes in a different way, think about new ingredients and new techniques. Um, you know, I, I think from a from a recipe development standpoint, it's been great because I, it just it means like for a month out of the year, I, I think about a completely different set of things than I normally do. Um, but, um, you know, but these days, you know, when I'm, when I'm not, uh, when I'm not testing recipes or eating for work, um, I, I'd maintain mostly vegetarian, some fish, but, um, like I, I don't, I, I don't really go out for meat anymore. Um, so, you know, in that sense, it's, it's sort of changed yeah. uh, the way I eat. So um, what's your favorite thing you discovered this vegan month? 
Uh, I've been working a lot on hummus, um, and I, you know, I was actually going to be publishing a recipe, a recipe next week, um, but then last night I went to uh, John Fraser's new place, Nick's. Have you been there? No. It's, it's awesome. Awesome. It opened on Monday. It's um, a vegetarian restaurant, but John, you know, John Fraser. Uh, he has um, uh, Dovetail and Narcissa, yeah. neither one of them vegetarian restaurants. He's like, you know, great chef, Michelin star guy. Good man, too. Good man, too, yeah. Um, but, and he opened a vegetarian restaurant that is amazing. And they have this awesome hummus, and I was talking to him about it. And he uses a completely different technique than I use, so now maybe I'm going to hold off on the recipe and do some more well, testing. What do you do? Uh, so, okay, so, so, you know, the testing I was doing was mainly about, about getting the, the texture right. And, um, so, you know, so doing things like trying to peel, whether peeling chickpeas really matters. Um, my, you know, the, my technique now is basically just like cook the crap out of the chickpeas um, and then and then puree it all. Um, um, but what he does is he cooks the crap out of the chickpeas, um, but then completely reduces the liquid um, and purees all the mirepoix and every, like basically everything that was in the pot, all the liquid, all the mirepoix, everything that was in there with the chickpeas, purees it all together. Um, and it and it and, and purees it importantly purees it while it's hot in a blender um, as opposed to letting it cool and then doing it in a food processor because when it's when it's hot it's like the texture of like a milkshake you know it's like right. easily done in a blender and then by the time it cools down to serving temperature it's the texture of hummus so you can get it a lot smoother in a blender than you can in a food processor because of setback uh, yeah, yeah yeah the uh, do, are, wait so are you an advocate is he an advocate of the appeal after soak rub the things off after no soak? so I mean okay so where, where I'm coming down in it, and, and again this might change if I do some more testing but where I w- was coming down in it up until I had his last night was that um, uh, you know it, when I when I served it side by side to people um, people mostly picked the one where they where they were peeled Um but the other one was also way better than you know the one where you just cook them to crap was way better than than anything else uh, as well. So it's it's like you can get you can get like ninety percent good hummus without peeling the chickpeas if you want that extra ten percent. You know what though, peeling yeah. chickpeas is not that. Big it's of not a that pan. hard. It's not, not that hard. Yeah, no. you do like the the gold panning method, right? Uh, yeah. Also, I, I just like put my hands and I'm like, Ugh! yeah, like, exactly. Soaks and then yeah, and then I yeah. Yeah, you put them in water, rub them around with your hands, and then and then kind of skim off the skins that flip yeah, to the top. I find it know. strangely cathartic. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know, some people don't like doing stuff, stuff like yeah. that. The one thing you don't want to use is canned chickpeas. I mean, I like that, in a pinch they taste okay. In a, in a pinch they taste okay. So, yeah, I mean, and, and again, you know, this is like in side by side taste tests. They don't mm-hmm. taste okay, but nobody eats things side by side in real life. Do you ever do it with like the the smaller like Bengal gram stuff, or you only using Italian style? Or? Uh, I've been using yeah, just Italian style. Hummus so hot right now. Hummus so hot, so hot right now. Yeah. Hummus. The uh, okay, so. Uh, I did. I you know I don't know if you know this. I had to. This is years ago. I had to do raw vegan for a week, and it was a horror right. show. This is a complete horror show. Well, the raw part is the. I was just an angry and the part that doesn't make. Much I was sense. an angry monster, and when I went back on cooked food, my toilet thanked me. <laughs> um, the, I mean, it's just. And by the way, uh, we haven't talked about this, but uh, you know Richard Wrangham, the guy who wrote, uh, um, uh, oh my God, the, the, how cooking made us human. Uh, nope, but... Oh, he's awesome. He's I'll a professor at Harvard. Um, and, um... Oh, I know that book, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, the actual title's out of my head. I just have the tagline, On mm-hmm. Fire, I think, or something like that. Uh, right. So he's done a lot of amazing uh, work uh, uh, on, like, uh, primates and, like, how how long we would have to sit and eat to get nutrition from uh, raw right. food diets right. and things like this. So he's going to come on the show. Uh, we're trying to schedule it. We're not sure when, but he's going to come on the show. We're going to talk to him about his uh, his book and how it relates to yeah. kind of cooking. But, yeah, raw well, food. Well, these days a lot of people do have time to sit around and eat 
a lot, right? <laughs> yeah, he reviewed some of the data that was done on people on raw food diets uh, and kind of how much they had to eat. And it's a great way to lose weight just because your body can't absorb a lot of the stuff that you're right. you're eating. So it's just a fantastic way to uh, you know to lose weight. Two minutes, Dave. Two minutes. All right. So you want to talk about? Uh, I have to I have to read an anti me rant and then uh, <laughs> we can let, talk about cock- wedding cocktails. You know, okay, let's do uh, let's do cocktails and then uh, I'll rip through the anti me rant. Okay, Wang cocktail. So yeah, so I, I think I tweeted once a while back uh, that uh, why, why don't more people weigh their co- weigh their cocktail ingredients instead of measuring them in jiggers, and uh, and then some people said yes, and then some people rightfully said no, that's stupid. But I, I think I think really it comes down to context. Like if you know, like I know I know what drinks I I drink at home, and it's not a huge like I maybe make four or five different drinks at home. Or, like, most of the time it's just a Negroni, right? And if I'm making, like, three or four of them, um, I find it's easier just to throw the thing on the scale, pour the stuff in, and I'm done. And I know the ratio. Like, I, I don't have to carry I don't have to care about the density of the things because I know how much I want of each one, and it's done. And I don't have to mess up a jigger. I just pour it into the glass. And that's no, but it. you always have to pour into another glass because what if you over I pour it? Well, you just don't over pour. Well, remember, you, like, you never pour... <laughs> you never pour the liquid directly into the batch it's not like cooking it's I, like i pour it directly into into my mixing glass you're a freaking yeah. savage you're a freaking <laughs> savage like you have no, you have no you have no room for mistakes then uh it, well and it's also if i slightly over pour i just don't care right savage like, then why weigh it all just do it by eye <laughs> that's that's yeah that's a good question uh, i guess anyway let's read the anti the illusion of precision yes yeah well you know a lot of times that's the case anyway a lot of the stuff is just making yourself feel good with precision with cooking no like this i i wrote a rant a bit about like recipes that have gram measurements in very very precise amounts and it's it's like use 33 grams of onions and stuff and stuff and that's like i think total illusion of precision because it's not like the onion i'm using today is the same as the onion i'm using next week or the one that you're getting in california or whatever right it's like you can use the same exact amount of ingredients and and come up with completely different flavors just because ingredients vary a lot but but for some reason there are there are some people who like really want this kind of precision in a recipe even if it's a sort of false precision how often do you use a thermometer um, when you're not testing for writing. So these days, not much because I don't cook meat very much at home. But when I cooked meat, I'll, I mean, I always use it for meat. Even um, when you roast a chicken? You use yeah, a thermometer you, on a chicken? Oh, it's, I especially use it for roast chicken. Actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because, well, because, yeah, roast chicken is one of those things where I think if it if it gets slightly overcooked, it's not good anymore. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, ch- I, I, chicken and turkey are Oh, because you're not a briner. I'm a dry briner. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right, this is, we, we need another whole other show to get into these kind of uh, arguments. Let me, let me, Jack, can I read this anti-me rant real quick? Real quick. Jack, uh, thanks to the Wonderful Network. I am a big fan and admirer of Dave. That said, this is about the Gaps diet. Do you know about the Gaps diet, Kenji? No. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, that said, I have to admit that I'm rather disturbed that Dave got off topic to evaluate the Gaps diet for his listeners. I didn't evaluate it, by the way. I just said that... I don't have any data on it. I don't know about it, but that things that I saw initially on it set off red flags, but not that I had the data. That was maybe long and didn't actually make the point, but that was what I was trying to say is that flags were being raised about the presentation of the of the diet, but that I have no actual data on the diet. That was my take home, by the way, just so you know, Kenji. All right. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to family, familiarize it. Um, I mean – 
I say Justino instead of instead of uh, Jesus Christ to make it a little more family friendly. Okay. Uh, I mean, Justino, where is uh, where in the list of many things he's an expert on is human physiology and healing diets. The question should have been discarded as off topic and never brought to the fore. Uh, but it has been, and Dave didn't even know where to begin talking about it, which is kind of what I said. I don't know about this specific diet. I do know about some fad diets like Master Cleanse, a load of horse crap. <laughs> Unless, unless you love it, people, in which case <laughs> – anyway. Uh, bottom line is that uh, this is a healing diet with a long history of success and a lot of endorsements from qualified medical professionals. I saw – you know, whatever. Amazingly, it, it addressed problems with human microbiome before anyone was thinking of the human microbiome. If Dave will check all those ailments that GAP says it cures, uh, all are identified by reports as ailments that are triggered by gut dysbiosis, autism, a bunch of – more like associated with – you know, most of the data. Anyway, um, triggered by gut dysbiosis, GAPS fixes those problems and fixes them by just changing diet for a while. Justino, it doesn't really have to be, it doesn't have any products to sell, unlike real fad diets usually do. Usually, not always. Master cleanse. Uh, <laughs> anyway, if you would like to have uh, an author of a popular level uh, GAPS diet book on the air with Dave, I could arrange it. While I think he should never comment on food as medicine issues again, since it's really not his area of expertise. I do feel that he owes it to his listeners and gas people to set the record straight as much as possible. The easy way would be to have an established commenter on the diet. Come on. Happy to arrange that. I'll still listen every week, of course, even if Dave was just packing sugar, honey, and iced tea when he addressed uh, address that topic. Let me know. Thanks. Alan Balliott from Shepherdstown, West Virginia. Yeah, I'll have someone on, but I mean, I may, I may, look, we'll see how much I know when the expert comes on and we'll <laughs> see whether or not, we'll see what happens. I'm happy to have someone on and I would love someone to come on and tell me that, you know, the red flags that are raised when I look at it are not red flags yeah. and that I'm, you know, a bad or unknowledgeable you, person. You typically don't talk, you typically don't talk about diet and, and health much, right? I was asked specifically yeah. about it. I avoid it, not because I don't think about it, but because... Because in general, I think most proscriptive diet plans are horse hockey. Yeah. I, I, unless someone proves to me otherwise, my general idea is because the human body is so freaking complex that right. most of the data that people rely on – and this is, this is not – I'm not talking off the top of my head here. This is based on not specifically the GAPS diet because I haven't read about it, but like much – much wading through horse like scientific horse hockey on many different diets like salt msg um you know uh, auto intoxication the whole load of horse crap that we've been uh, handed by people over the mm-hmm. past 150 years uh, i am just ex- i am extremely cautious about people telling people that they how they can change their lives by manipulating the extraordinarily complex and poorly understood system that is the human body right Right. Fair enough. Uh, we have to end, Dave. Um, thank you so much, Kenji, for coming on the show. Yeah, by thanks, the way. yeah thanks, Kenji. Yeah. The book is The Food Lab, Better Home Cooking Through Science. Available everywhere. Um, that's it, Dave. All right. All right. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thank you.